Welcome to Secure Freedom Radio. This is Frank Afney, your host and guide for what I think of as an intelligence briefing on the war for the free world. One of the most important battle spaces in that war, which has lately been, well, once again, neglected, or at least inadequately understood, is fortunately the battle space in which our first guest operates and is supremely effective. His name is Robert Spencer, no stranger to these microphones. We're very pleased, as always, to have him. He is a senior fellow of the Center for Security Policy, I'm proud to say, as well as the director of a truly indispensable online resource, jihadwatch.org, which is a project of the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Robert can be found on the pages of Front Page Magazine and PJ Media, and of course in an entire library of books that he has published, including, among others, uh, several for the Center for Security Policy Press. We're always delighted to have him with us. Welcome back, Robert. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Frank. I was particularly anxious to catch up with you today, Robert, because yesterday the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, in one of its more egregious examples of superficial and woefully inadequate oversight, rubber-stamped the nomination of a man by the name of Rashad Hussein, with whom uh, both of us are somewhat familiar. We've talked about him in the past on this program, and I wanted to get your take on the fact that um, essentially the committee, um, without debate, uh, without really much in the way of a hearing, for that matter, on this nomination, has now sent forward with its unanimous approval the nomination of a man who moderate Muslims, among others of us, uh, are very concerned, would not acquit himself well as the ambassador at large for international religious freedom um, if the Senate uh, should, in the days ahead, uh, approve this nomination. Um, you've talked about this I know you've uh, studied his track record a bit. Um, what is the essential problem with the man who the Muslim Brotherhood groups in this country are very keen to see confirmed um, actually gets the job? The core difficulty with Rashad Hussein, Frank, is that he is a Hafiz, which means that he's memorized the entire Quran, and that in itself indicates that he is a devout and believing Muslim. Now, Everybody who voted for him in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee would immediately say that my saying that was just a manifestation of Islamophobic bigotry and that Rashad Hussein's religion has nothing to do with whether he would acquit himself well as the ambassador for religious freedom. However, this overlooks, and as you noted, the analysis, as always, was superficial. This overlooks the fact that Sharia teaches the supremacy of Islam and Muslims over non-Muslims and non-Muslim religions, and teaches that the non-Muslims should be subjugated under the hegemony of Islamic law. That being the case... Robert, excuse me, just for one second. Rashad Hussein is confronted with a situation involving Muslims persecuting Christians. He will be torn, if he is indeed a true believer, as he seems to be, between thinking that the Christians are getting their due in being humiliated as a sign of the disfavor of Allah toward them for rejecting Muhammad and the Quran, and between his responsibility to defend the religious freedom of everyone. And this inquiry itself, this possibility, has been completely dismissed as bigoted and Islamophobic, but it is a real possibility. And one day there is going to be a confrontation about it, because whether it's Rashad Hussein 
or some other Muslim appointee, there's going to be some official at one point or another who rules in favor of his assumptions and beliefs based on Islamic sh- and, and Islam and Sharia rather than American law. And this is the concern that we have brought to the fore in this regard, but have been completely dismissed by people who don't uh, know anything about Sharia and don't care about it because they believe that even the inquiry itself is Islamophobic. So this is testimony to the success of groups such as the Hamas Linked Council on American Islamic Relations and others in stigmatizing even this necessary discussion that we should be having. Robert, when you say the Quran and, and Sharia teach that people of faiths other than Islamic adherents are to be treated as inferior. Uh, dimmies, I think, is the term in Arabic. Um, what is the nature of that teaching? Is it kind of a one-off statement that can be found somewhere in the text of this book that uh, Rashad Hussein has, as you say, memorized in its entirety? at least so we're told, or is it a theme that is really endemic in authoritative Islam's teachings, tenets, and practices? Uh, Very much the latter, Frank. There's one particular passage of the Quran that makes it very clear, and that's chapter 9, verse 29, which says that uh, the Muslims must fight against even the people of the book, which is primarily Jews and Christians, until they pay the jizya, which is a tax, with willing submission and feel themselves subdued. But as you noted, this is something that runs all the way through the core teachings of Islam, which are summed up also in chapter 48, verse 29 of the Quran. Muhammad is the apostle of Allah. Those who follow him are merciful among themselves, but ruthless to unbelievers. Now, as uh, a a corollary of this, there's also Islamic history. And that shows that throughout history, there has never been an Islamic state based on Sharia that has granted fully quality of rights to non-Muslims. And as a matter of fact, every Sharia state throughout history has systematically discriminated against and oppressed the non-Muslims on the basis of Islamic law, Sharia, regarding how they ought to be treated in the Islamic state. And so this is not something that's just some crazy forgotten verse that people have plucked out of that Islamophobes have plucked out of the Quran and nobody else is paying attention to, uh, comparable to Islamic apologists invoking old passages, passages of the Old Testament that neither Jews nor Christians take literally and saying, see, the, the, the Bible is just as violent. It's not like that at all. This is a core element and a core aspect of Islamic law to this day. And so Rashad Hussein, if we had any actual responsible lawmakers, they would have been asking him about this and asking him how he would deal with the contradiction between Sharia and American law, in particular in regard to religious freedom. Robert, the concern here is not simply that the counsel of Rashad Hussein inside the senior ranks of not only our diplomatic corps, but of our State Department and indeed the Biden administration will be at best influenced by this doctrine of Sharia. At worst, you know, maybe dictated by it, but certainly influenced at the very minimum. But the other piece of this that's so worrying is that this appointment and what it bespeaks about either the Biden administration's fealty to Islamists and its desire to promote them 
will signal to fellow Sharia supremacists elsewhere around the world. And it's, uh, of course, against the backdrop of what was already telegraphed horrifically by the appalling performance of this administration in Afghanistan and the emboldening that that has provided to not just the Taliban, but all manner of other Sharia supremacists. But wouldn't this not, in your opinion, Robert, suggest to those who have been championing, you know, the future caliphate, uh, the inevitable triumph of Islam over other religions, um, the perpetrators of persecution of Christians, Jews, and, and others, citing, among other things, some of the texts that you've mentioned, that they all will be further empowered and incentivized even to uh, engage in activities that are very much inimical to not just religious freedom for everybody in the world, but for our security here at home as well. That's right, Frank. It's as if the policeman is off the beat and the primary the state that should be the guardian of uh, religious minorities around the world that are persecuted, that is the United States, is signaling by the appointment of Rashad Hussein that it's going to uh, not take, is likely going to turn a blind eye to the persecution of Jews and Christians under the hegemony of Islamic law. And consequently, uh, that's very likely to embolden the persecutors and make them think that there's nobody really who's going to stand up against them. So they have nothing to restrain them. This is terrifying, honestly. And the fact that it has uh, moved this far uh, without, you know, appreciable discussion, let alone real debate, is a travesty in my opinion. And I pray that before this nomination proceeds to uh, approval by the Senate, there will be such a debate. I think it's imperative, Robert, for reasons you've mentioned, among others. And uh, we must, I think, in keeping with the importance of this topic and its implications well beyond, again, the religious freedom portfolio, do everything in our power to uh, stimulate that debate. And we appreciate your help in that regard. Robert, you've also been contributing to a necessary debate that um, unfortunately did not take place and prevail, at least in the House of Representatives uh, yesterday, I believe, um, featuring legislation by Ilhan Omar, a member of Congress from Minnesota, who has become quite notorious for her, uh, well, shall we say, Sharia supremacist uh, proclivities. Um, You've written about this at uh, our website, securefreedom.org, and I commend to our listeners this uh, important essay. Um, Talk a little bit, if you would, about what's in this legislation and what it would mean were it to be approved by the Senate and signed into law. What it calls for is the State Department to establish a special envoy to monitor Islamophobia worldwide. Uh, Technically, it's not supposed to be applicable to incidents of so-called Islamophobia within the United States, but it seems likely that once the State Department is bound to monitor such a thing worldwide that it would extend to domestic incidents of this spurious phenomenon as well. The greatest weakness or the most insidious aspect, if you will, of the bill is that it does not define Islamophobia. And the term Islamophobia over the last 20 or 30 years has been used in two distinct ways. One is to refer to vigilante attacks on individual Muslims, which are never justified under any circumstance. The other 
is to refer to honest analysis of the motivating ideology behind jihad terrorism, which unfortunately, whether we like it or not, is rooted in core Islamic doctrine. And that enterprise of inquiry into the motives and goals of the jihadis has been stigmatized by groups such as CARE and others over the last 20 or 30 years as Islamophobia. So the conflation of these two is designed to give the impression that these analyses of the motives of jihadis are giving rise to those vigilante attacks and therefore must be silenced. And so the insidious aspect of the bill in leaving Islamophobia undefined is that it will likely lead to an inhibition of counterterror effort and a genuine uh, silencing of those who are pursuing trying to understand what is making the jihadis do what they do. And so they will thereby, therefore, have a free hand as per the ancient adage of war from Sun Tzu, you have to know your enemy. And if we don't know the enemy, we won't be able to counter what he's doing. I think the history of this era, when it is written, uh, hopefully by people who have the benefit of both perspective and the ability to describe it objectively and not from the vantage point of the victors, who may not be us if we persist in this behavior. And Robert Spencer, I'm, I'm obviously not talking about you as a remarkable historian writing in the present moment. They will look back at this and say, we have never really, despite your best efforts, my friend, and, and mine and our Center for Security Policy, among others, to clarify what we're up against. The true nature of these, well, again, from my preference, Sharia supremacists. And it makes all the more dangerous something that you've touched on there. Um, a civics lesson, I guess, folks, uh, as I'm sure most of you know, when Congress enacts legislation, frequently it is up to various agencies of the government to promulgate regulations or fill in blanks or otherwise define what the legislators had in mind and how it will apply. You can be sure that if quite intentionally Ilan Omar declined to define Islamophobia for the purposes of this legislation, it will be defined, whether by the State Department or whether by other branches of the executive uh, uh, office of the president, there will be no end of opportunities for the very people you're talking about, Robert Spencer, and warning against and who you have struggled mightily to counter in their influence operations, namely the Muslim Brotherhood and uh, other Islamists, to define it in ways that will uh, not only include thee and me, of course, but will be very sweeping and effectively advancing the ulterior agenda of so much of this, which is to enforce Sharia in the United States, uh, notably Sharia blasphemy. Walk us through that, if you would, quickly, Rob. Sure. Sharia blasphemy laws forbid criticism of Islam on pain of death. The Dimmi populations, the subjected Jews and Christians, were forbidden even to complain about their own fate and the discrimination and harassment that was directed against them, because to do so was considered to be criticism of the Quran, Muhammad, and Islam, and that would violate their contract of protection, so-called, that they had with those who were oppressing them. So it would be the same situation were this to become the law of the land, that any 
thing that was written that or spoken that was remotely critical of Islam or perceived to be by noting how jihad terrorists use the texts and teachings of Islam to justify violence and oppression would be silent as a result. And so uh, you're absolutely right. The Organization of Islamic Cooperation has been working for years to bring about this exactly this kind of law under the guise of forbidding hate speech. But what it really is all about is an endeavor to impose Sharia blasphemy laws on the West. Islamophobia is simply a fancy way to advance that agenda. And uh, what Ilan Omar's bill would do, I think unquestionably, is to enshrine that in law to make it possible for the Muslim Brotherhood's influence operators to um, enable the various government agencies to promulgate regulations that advance this Sharia blasphemy agenda. And you mentioned the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. Of course, uh, Rashad Hussein was uh, Barack Obama's envoy to that operation. And one of the things that's striking about um, the performance that he turned in during that period was captured uh, by a moderate Muslim by the name of uh, Azra Nomani recently in an appeal to the Senate not to confirm this man to be the ambassador at large for international religious freedom, in which he said, quote, Mr. Hussein has protected and advanced the illiberal values of Islamic theocracies that perpetuate a disturbing and hateful ideology of Muslim supremacy, unquote. It would seem to me those are grounds for uh, rejecting this nomination if none other were needed. Robert Spencer, we have to leave it at that for the moment. I appreciate so much your visiting with us and, and for your very clear-eyed attention to the nature of these various threats we're facing uh, and the imperative need to be steeled against them. Um, among the 23 books uh, that Robert has authored, I really want to commend, uh, I think, the most recent, uh, The Critical Quran, explained from key Islamic commentaries and contemporary historical research, which not only informs us about what we're up against in the form of this Sharia supremacism, but demonstrates, if any demonstration were needed, uh, Robert Spencer's intimate and authoritative understanding of the nature of such dangers. God bless you, my friend, and the work you do at jihadwatch.org. Keep it up. I know you will. Come back to us again very soon. Next up, uh, we'll take stock on this topic and much more with Sam Faddis, former Central Intelligence Agency undercover operative.